Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we see the key is going to be learning to walk by the Spirit, which will be addressed later. But for now, it's seeing what the desires of the flesh are, understanding the way they function. Because once you begin to see this within you, it's a war. And it's a war in the spiritual realm. It's a war that's invisible to most people. And yet they can feel the effects of this war going on within them. Oh man, I got angry. And now I'm feeling condemned. Or even worse, I'm going to jail. You know, you can feel the effects. Or now I'm stirred up. Maybe I got home successfully without getting into a really negative road rage incident. Yet I still feel the effects of it. Or I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm worked up. I'm anxious. Oh, I need something to calm down. What's my vice? What's my vice? Alcohol? Drugs? Pornography? Anger? Beating my family? It's very possible that now that the carnal nature has got a hook in me for anger, it's got me going, and now I'm living in the carnal nature. And the only thing that comes with the carnal nature is death in some form or fashion. That's not necessarily to be confused with dead, the idea of a human being that quits breathing and is buried with a funeral home and all that. It's the idea of death. Remember that scripture declares to be carnally minded is death. We see that in Romans, I believe it was 8, 6. But those who are carnally minded are death. That is literally what death is. And I would now be carnally minded if that road rage incident successfully got me frustrated and upset. Even if I just got really upset, honked the horn, gave the one finger salute, carried on and drove home. But I'm still in the carnal nature. I'm still worked up. This actually used to be a problem for me. My wife recognized that. I would literally get thinking about something that happened and I would be stuck on that train of thought until I could finally have some way to be interrupted from that. It would affect my day. It would affect my night. It would affect my desires, whatever I was doing. It's as though I was trapped in something that was not comfortable but it was literally like I was stuck on a runaway train of thought. We see in verse 17, Galatians 5, 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. It's a war to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The lust of the flesh often comes as a stronger impulse, sometimes connected to our emotions, our beliefs, our paradigms, and our worldviews, which have been planted into us over the course of life by teachers and schools and parents and friends, perhaps even religious institutions and preachers. And yet it is very possible for all of these views and paradigms to be used against us by the carnal nature. And they're actually not just going to be used against us. They're going to be used against the Spirit of God who is within us. 
This is why we have to learn to live by the Spirit of God. This is the reason why learning to hear the voice of God is so vital. And if you're in a community or a fellowship of believers where people don't know how to hear the voice of God, or even worse, you have someone claiming that God no longer speaks because he's now a leather-bound book with 66 books, or like 72 if you're Catholic. But if you have someone teaching that, that's a problem. Because you have to learn to hear the gentle, still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit who is within you. Because hearing His voice is how you live from His life and from His Spirit. It is not simply reading and memorizing things in the Bible. Although you should know the Bible, you should live and dwell in the Word. But remember the Pharisees, they dwelled in the Bible. And they killed the Son of God. Simply dwelling in the Bible doesn't exactly empower you with a Spirit-led life. Dwelling in the Bible doesn't empower you to hear the voice of God. But it does empower you to begin to recognize His voice when He speaks. But you have to remember there's more than one way to read the Scripture. You can read it like a Pharisee who's looking for a set of rules of behavior. Or you can read it like a child of God who's simply learning to recognize the way their loving Father speaks to them. There is a scripture where Jesus says, He who does not hate his mother or father compared to his love for me does not love me. And he's not saying you got to pick up the phone and go, Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I hate you. He's not saying that. But something that you should understand about this process that will begin to truly set you free is everything that you were ever taught, for the most part, needs to be trashed. And you need to start over with a brand new life. When you are born again, You've got to still be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind doesn't simply mean upgrade to a slightly different version. You're not going from the iPhone 10 to the iPhone 11. You are getting a brand new kind of phone, if you will. You're a new creation. You learn to live in a whole new way. And your previous beliefs, no matter how good they are to you, are actually limiting to you because they limit you to living like a human without the Spirit of God. But you are now a human empowered by the Spirit of a living God. Everything your parents taught you, unless they were Spirit-led in all things, what they taught you is simply insufficient to truly handle guiding the spirit of a living God. Now, this may not be the case for everybody. There may be some people with incredibly spirit-led, born-again parents who have equipped them well in that. But that is not the case for the vast majority of people I've encountered. Most of the people I encounter just have regular parents who maybe did their best in life but didn't know flesh versus spirit. They didn't know how to walk by the living spirit. I, I promise you, I've never seen an educational institution that is spirit-led, even the ones that claim to be Christian. I went to a Christian college. I went to two supposed Christian colleges. 
And you know what? They were just as carnal and worldly in some aspects as many other worldly places. They were not spirit-led. There may have been Christians within them teaching things, but it was still very carnal in a lot of regards. The Christian walk is not just about upgrading your beliefs from bad to good. It's about upgrading your source of life from flesh to spirit. From that little voice in your head, the thing that says, get angry at that girl who's drive, texting and driving in front of you. It's where that, that voice you learn to recognize and you learn to say, that's the carnal nature. Shut up. Get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. Who invited you here? You're not welcome in my life. We've divorced uh, until death do us part and I have died with Christ. Therefore, we are to part forever. And I'm living a new life now with someone else guiding me. And that is Jesus Christ. And scripture would support the idea that that old man is dead. Yet why am I still hearing the voice? You know, I've heard it said it's not because I have a sin nature any longer, but because I have a sin habit. I can still live from the flesh. I can still live from the old mind of the flesh, the impulses. But if by the Spirit of God I put to death the deeds of the flesh, then I am living the Spirit-led life. Then I am actually living. So I've got to recognize what the flesh looks like. That way I can put it to death completely by the Spirit of God. All memories of it, gone. The ways that it has hooks in me and tries to trigger me, gone. The way that it tries to guide me the wrong direction in life, gone. And it's deceptions of where it will try to guide me even in things that seem good yet they're still deceptive. That's that proverb scripture. There's a way that seems right to a man, yet in the end, it leads to destruction. I'm actually gonna share a real life example from this past week of a situation where I still got to hear that old voice of the flesh trying to get me to embrace it, and I did not fall for it. And here was the situation. Our house had gotten a little bit messier than I usually like. My wife's an amazing woman and she's doing her best. We have two young children and we're kind of in a phase of life to where sometimes it's hard to keep up with everything. We've got kids, we've got dogs, we've got real lives, we've got a lot of stuff going on. And I come home one night and here she is. She is just aggressively trying to do the dishes, trying to help clean the kitchen, trying to do a variety of things. And I literally hear this voice inside of me that says, you know, if you would just, you should talk to your wife right now and tell her if she would just do a better job of keeping this house picked up and clean, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And literally the temptation, it came, I, I sense the ego, I sense the pride, I sense this thing because I don't, I don't enjoy being in a, a house that's not clean. I like to have a clean house at all times. For me, I just really, really enjoy that. Yet, real life. 
That's not always the case. Not everybody gets to live in a house that's always 24-7, absolutely picked up, especially when you've got young kids who just run through and they're like little tornadoes having so much fun with their toys, but they don't completely understand the art of picking things up yet. We're working on that. Yet here's this voice saying, hey, give your wife some reprimand. Give her some correct correction. Tell her that she's not doing as good of a job and if she would do a better job, she wouldn't have to be working so hard right now and so on. And I stopped. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say a single one of those words. I just stopped. And I was slow to wrath, slow to anger, slow to speak. Scripture seems to talk about the wise man being slow to speak. And I just stopped and I said, Holy Spirit, is this you in me? Where's this impulse to speak coming from? Is the Spirit of God reprimanding my wife for doing her absolute best, perhaps while being a little bit overwhelmed this particular day? No, I, I don't think that's the Spirit of God at all in me. Hey, how come this, th this sense is coming with ego and with pride? I know that voice. That's a dead man. And I don't communicate with the dead. My response was, Lord, I can tell that my wife needs some assistance. How can I encourage her and assist in this situation? And I was able to discern what was going on within my own wife. As she was at a point, she didn't express it, but I could just perceive that she was somewhat overwhelmed in that moment. And if I had have actually embraced that voice, embraced the thing telling me, hey, you should really hammer on your wife right now for not being quite, you know, uh, keeping the house quite what you would like it to be and so on. I was actually going to push her triggers. It was the carnal nature in me trying to pull the carnal nature out in her. And I don't know what response would have been. We would have either been in a fight maybe. We don't really fight a whole lot, so I doubt that. But I do expect that probably it would have overwhelmed my wife and just made her feel like a failure and probably want to just go and sit down and completely blow off even helping out the way she was. And I realized in that moment by the Spirit of God that what I needed to do is figure out how to encourage my wife in this situation and not be even more overwhelming to her. And I just bring that as an example to you because you may have many different circumstances, whether it be marriage, whether it be friends, whether it be driving, whether it be at work, but you've got to learn to recognize when it's the voice of God inside of you and when it's the carnal nature. Because what the carnal nature will do is it will actually cause the other person to respond in their carnal nature as well. So that was the trap. The trap was the fallen nature, the carnal nature was trying to put enmity between me and my wife. And it was trying to do it by causing me to embrace its voice and just speak something that was not life-giving words. But I did not fall for that. I recognized it. And that's what I want you to be able to do by the time this series is done. The hope is that you will recognize, hey, that's not the Spirit of God. And even if everything in me knows 
Hey, it would be good for this. Sure, it'd be good if the house was more well-maintained constantly. She should give up all of her life to do nothing but run around and clean the house up. Blah, blah, blah. I don't, I'm not saying that for real. I'm just saying these might be the belief systems inside of me going through my subconscious. And based on these belief systems, I might feel justified in saying something like that that was fleshly and carnal towards my wife. Yet instead, I stopped and yielded and said, I'm going to be slow to speak. I want to hear the voice of God because I want to love my wife because I know that that's what she needs. That's what the world needs is the love of Christ through me, not me being carnal. And this was one of those self-righteous kind of carnalities where Eric knows what is good. Therefore, if they would just live up to Eric's standards, yeah, okay, who's saying that? That's the carnal nature. That's pride. That's not humility, and that's not the Spirit of God. That's part of the trap, and that's part of the war. The flesh and the Spirit are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want to love my wife. And what is the flesh trying to get me to do? To do something to my wife, to say something to her that would not have in fact been out of a place of love. It would have been out of a place of selfishness. And it would have literally caused more enmity, more division, and not a closer connection. That is the trap of the war. That is the war or the trap of the flesh. Now, there was part of me, the flesh part, that wanted to say that thing and came with the ego. And yet the spirit of God in me says, don't do this. It kept me from doing what part of me wanted to do. But that's a part of me that's dead. And it needs to stay dead. Galatians 5 verse 18. So we just did 16 and 17. Walking by the spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. The war of the flesh versus spirit. And then this verse that says, But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. To understand this verse fully, we've got to go back to the beginning of Galatians 5. Maybe even understanding more of Galatians, but right now I'm just going to focus on chapter 5. And I'm going to go back to verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul is talking here to the Galatians. And he's talking about the idea of being tricked. After you've been taught the freedom that is in Christ, the idea of going back to law, 
to rules, to regulation, and living from the law, even though Christ set us free from that. When he's talking about the idea of uh, accepting circumcision, he's not just referring to something that only a man can do for a particular receiving that as a physical act. He's actually talking about the idea of embracing the requirements of the law, which is contrary to faith in Jesus Christ. The understanding here is that when we embrace the law, we are severed or estranged from Christ. We are no longer one with Christ when we try to keep the law. This is why no one who tries to keep the law can actually succeed at it. Because the only way to fulfill the righteous requirements is to walk by the Spirit of Christ within us. Christ himself fulfills these things as we allow him to live through us instead of our carnal nature. And yet there's always this trap, this deception, this thing that makes us sometimes fall for these teachings that try to put law on us. They try to put us under a bondage again. And yet when he says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He is saying that your keeping the law counts for nothing. The scripture declares, if you keep the whole law and yet stumble in one area, you're guilty of all. It is not about keeping the law or rule keeping or behavior modification. That is not Christianity. That is dead religion. That is Phariseeism. And it's actually a very common thing in a great number of modern day, very popular denominations. Verse 6 finishes that only faith working through love, that's what counts. Faith working through love. There has unfortunately been a big misunderstanding of faith over the years. And some, some years ago, I don't remember how long ago now, but there was this whole word of faith movement that began, which I believe was genuinely inspired from God. And it was people at least trying to begin to bring a balance or an understanding again of the concept of faith, of what that looks like in life. I'm not saying every word of faith preacher out there is walking it perfectly, living life perfectly, or even has all the doctrine perfect. I am not saying that. But it was very interesting to see a whole move of God where faith, is the only thing that we can live from. It's the only thing, faith working through love, that counts. Not how good your behavior is, not how well you can obey rules and law, but faith. The just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing the voice of God. And yet I've actually seen a number of people who I don't even know if I consider them Christians, but they are definitely religious folks. And they have made an absolute mockery of the doctrine of faith and the concept of faith. And ironically, most of them are the most faithless people I've ever known. They don't know how to receive anything from the Lord. They're carnal, very fleshly. They're what we would call carnal Christians. And yet the scripture declares that if we are fulfilling those lusts of the flesh, we are estranged from Christ. We are not his. 
We're going to see this later in Galatians. But I mention this because there are full documentary films, uh, and I've just heard this from a lot of different people, where they're now making a mockery of the concept of faith. And I, I would warn you, if that is you or something that you're exposed to, be cautious with that. Be cautious with people that would come against the concept of faith, considering it's a very important thing within Scripture. Look at Hebrews. There's a whole hall of fame for the faith people. From Abraham to the to the, Jesus, faith, faith, faith. We see faith everywhere. Faith is a huge important concept within the Scriptures. And so it's a really good idea to at least be careful that you don't make a mockery of something that God is doing just because you don't understand it or because somebody that's carnal doesn't understand it and is making a mockery of it, and you might be studying under them. So back to verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Spirit versus the law is something that could probably be taught on for hours. But I don't have time for that right now. Not in this series. That's not the focus of this series, so I'm just going to touch in it some things that I think are important to understand. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the fall of man that happened when they obeyed the voice of Satan and they partook of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the fruit and the tree that they ate from, the knowledge of good and evil. And since that time, there was actually a shift in the way that mankind functioned. Remember, God said, in the day you eat of this, you will surely die. They did not spontaneously combust. God's version of death was different than ours. Scripture declares that being carnally minded is death. And what happened in that day is Adam and Eve became carnally minded. That's why God said, who told you that you were naked? Well, the who was the carnal mind. It was the flesh. And the way the carnal mind functions is very much from the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there is not a set standard for every human of what, hey, this is what's evil and this is what's good. You'll notice that kind of varies by person to some degree. There might be things we all agree upon, but start talking politics. One guy says this politician is evil and this other one is good. And the other one says, no, no, it's just the opposite. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, I'll tell you, they're both messed up because they're both thinking carnally. The carnal nature is very much about trying to think in a way that's good versus evil. This is why in the Old Testament, we see the law was given. The law was really given to help govern the carnal nature, but it was also given to show us that we couldn't possibly succeed from the carnal nature. Nobody could keep the law, and the Spirit of Christ did not come and empower us to obey the law. It empowered us to live from a different way, where we no longer had to live from the carnal nature with its rules about the knowledge of good and evil, now we got to live from a spirit-led life. And the Spirit of God knows what's best in every circumstance. Well, my experience in my church-going years, both Catholic and Protestant, many, many, many years in both, probably yeah, far more years 
this, you know, at this point in my life in the Protestant realm, everything from Baptist to non-denominational to charismatic to Pentecostal to Foursquare to Calvinist to Arminianist, everywhere, I have seen just about the same dead religion in all of those. And usually the training from the pulpit comes from someone who is not training you to hear the voice of God. At least in my own experience, it hasn't been training for how to hear the Spirit of God in different circumstances, but rather it's often preaching from the Bible with a particular set of rules to follow or rules that could perhaps reproduce something with God. But it's not actually training in living from and hearing the Spirit of the living God who is within me, guiding me. Well, that's the way the law works. The law is about, here's information that you should have so that you can live your life according to these particular rules and regulations. That's still the law. You might be quoting Bible left and right, but I'd like to point out that the law is in the Bible. That's where it came from. The Pharisees knew the law incredibly well, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, absolutely dead on the inside. But they sure looked good on the outside. They had some nice behavior going for them. But they were dead. And they were carnally minded. Simply knowing the Bible is not enough to be full of life. You have to be born again having made Jesus your Savior, but then Jesus Christ has to become your Lord. And Lordship is about you replacing rules and regulations, replacing a list of good things to do with the Spirit of the living Christ in you, guiding you moment by moment. 1 Corinthians 2.12 declares, I have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. Realize we haven't received the world's spirit. God has given us his spirit now, and his spirit is what we have to live from. There's a scripture in John where Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when I was a legalist, I used to think that I had to go and gather all the commandments and try with all my might and all my willpower to obey them and keep them so that I could prove to Jesus that I loved him. That's very much how my mind used to think. It's no wonder that I end up becoming a lawyer. Yet, that never set me free. It was a burden. It weighed me down. I had a whole lot of those commandments listed out, memorized, doing my best. And yet, I thought Jesus said his yoke was easy and his burden was light. So why was I so heavily burdened by obeying that voice or that uh, that verse? And one day, when I'm hanging out with the Lord, I, was, uh, I began spending time with him, just one-on-one, and it dawns on me. It says, if you love me. That's the first part of that verse. You will obey my commandments. It's not a, I keep his commandments just to prove to him that I love him. It's literally, as I love him, 
I begin to be transformed, renewed. It's like hanging around a new friend and you're like, man, I kind of like this person. And you start becoming like that person. That's the same thing with Jesus. I love him. Therefore, I begin to become like him. And now I keep his commandments, not because I am burdened with the list of rules to obey, but rather because I have become transformed into his image and I am now like him. His identity is my identity. His nature is my nature. And I'm no longer living from my old nature. I'm now living from the new life that he has imparted in me. And it is that that has allowed me to live from the spirit of a living Christ instead of from a set of rules trying to please Christ. My encouragement to you is if you are trying to please God, don't do it simply with behavior. Do it with source of behavior. Are you simply trying to do something good to look good for God? Jesus talks about this when he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee comes looking good. Hey, I'm the religious guy. I'm the pastor. I went to seminary school. I talk to the people about the Bible. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not like that IRS agent over there, that filthy tax man. I'm the good holy man. And yet you got the tax man over there throwing himself at the feet of God and at the mercy saying, Lord, I know I'm not a righteous man. Have mercy on me. One of them was living from their own pride, their own self-righteousness, their attempts to do good. That was the Pharisee. And Jesus said the Pharisee was not justified before God. Instead, the tax man, because he surrendered and threw himself at the feet of God and just, he was open. He had nothing hidden before God. That's the man who went away justified. Breaking the law mentality is important because this is one of the biggest keys to walking by the Spirit. That's why it says if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, learning to be led by the Spirit is what's going to help set you free from the law. So I'm really looking forward to covering that later on in this series. But this is a hugely important thing. And I just want to bring this up again because my experience is most, the vast majority of modern day churches that call themselves Christian are actually putting people under the law and they don't even realize it. And it comes through their, the way that they teach, the way that you hear the messages. And it may not even be obvious at first. I'm going to give one example from a sermon that I've actually heard before. I'm not going to quote who it was or enough details to identify them. But I got to hear a message once about one of the particular people in the Old Testament. Um, it was Moses. I'll just point that out. It was Moses. And I got to hear about how Moses had this particular situation with God. And so God told Moses, you know, do these three different things. And the whole point of this guy's message had nothing to do with going to God and hearing his voice for your circumstance or situation. It was instead, since God told Moses these three things, you too should go do these three things 
and see if maybe you can reproduce the results that Moses got. That is dead religion and legalism and the law. That is the mindset of being under the law. People leaving that message would not have thought to themselves, hey, if I have trouble in this circumstance, the Lord God would speak to me. They instead would have left believing, hey, if I'm in trouble with this circumstance, I just have to fulfill these three steps and requirements and then God should come through for me. That's the way a law-minded person thinks. They're think because that's how the law works. It was about fulfilling these things. To, in order to get from God, fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. You had to fulfill this list of rules. That's not how it works in the New Testament. The New Testament is not about rule keeping, behavior modification, or figuring out the magic three-step formula. The new covenant in the Spirit-led life is about living from a voice within you the voice of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, of the Son of God guiding you into all things in life. Proper Christian training should be equipping you to hear that voice, to live from that voice, and that voice will guide you to overcome all problems in life. Anybody who's been in a church or a denomination where they've been looking around, you know, maybe for 20 plus years, however long, I'm just going to tell you, if you've been in there even two years and you haven't been transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, not a religious person, not a person that does good behavior and has rules, but Jesus Christ, the one whose spirit lives inside you. If you are not actually being equipped for that spirit to live through you, then you are probably trapped in religion right now and in a place that's training you in law. And an easy way to figure this out is just to look at your life and say, hey, with what I've been learning, have I actually for real been overcoming my problems? Or have I just been getting fed a bunch of doctrine for why I should accept my problems and not live the overcoming life? You'll see this with people that hammer on the sovereignty of God about how God is puppeteering everything in this world, even though that's actually not in line with the teachings of Christ. I don't have time to get into that right now, but that's actually a stronghold. If that's being hammered hardcore where you're at and people are not actually overcoming and finding freedom, there's religious deception being fed. The same thing with the idea of, oh, we're all just sinners saved by grace. We'll all, all, that's all we'll ever be as a sinner saved by grace. That's wrong, and that's not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I turn sinners into saints and murderers into apostles. Look at Saul. That's the message of Christ, as I'm going to take the people that would be considered the scum of the earth, I'm going to set them free and empower them with the spirit of a living God, and I'm going to give them a purpose that's not carnal, that they can get out there and live for it and change the world. And for you to change the world, you first have to be changed. Be careful of doctrine that teaches passivity. The idea that you're just sitting around waiting on Jesus to show up and do everything. 
You know, that's what they thought he was going to do the first time around also. I'm amazed people still fall for that one. We see in the scripture, that's what they thought. He was going to show up and come and save them from the Romans and so on. And people still think that's how it's going to work. And yet Jesus literally said the gospel of the kingdom has to go out to the ends of the earth before the end comes. And yet most of the current church isn't even teaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're just teaching dead religion and law and the knowledge of good. This is my encouragement to you to have an evaluation with your circumstance, your situation, your church, the people that you're listening to and feeding off of spiritually, and hopefully you're feeding spiritually. Read the scripture. Don't just watch the news. Don't just look at the people around you and compare yourself. Rather, look at Jesus Christ and compare yourself to him. We are not the savior of mankind, but we are supposed to be living the Christ in me life. And it's really easy to figure out what that looks like when we know what the life of Christ looks like. So my encouragement is to, to you is to dig into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus walking this earth. What did he do? How did he interact with people? Because he's still just as alive today as he was back then. Scripture declares he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is ready to live through you. One other thing I would like to point out about Jesus is Jesus even said, I don't do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Think about this. That's radical. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had his own will. Just like I've got this thing in me that's a will, that's maybe the carnal voice saying, hey, Eric, go do this or that. Jesus had a voice in him saying, hey, Jesus, go do this or that. And yet Jesus said, I don't live from that voice. I live from the voice of my Father in me. That is our example for life as well.